0: Well, good morning on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, and I uh, hope your um, preparations are going well. And uh, we do have a lot to be thankful for, even in times of difficulty, and times of want. You know, I became a Christian during my first year of college, and since I didn't grow up going to church at all, um, after I came to faith, I started looking for a church. I knew I wanted to go to a church that believed in Jesus, that followed the Bible, and that would help me grow in my new faith. And I soon discovered that there are all kinds of different churches. I discovered a whole alphabet soup of words that I'd never heard before, words like Anglican and Apostolic, Brethren and Baptist, Catholic, Charismatic, Presbyterian, Pentecostal. I noticed that some churches met in beautiful sanctuaries and others met in people's homes or in storefronts. I noticed that some baptized babies and some didn't. Some had structured worship services with with pastors dressed in, in robes and others were casual and spontaneous. Some churches have both men and women in leadership and others were led just by men. Some churches believed in healing and miracles. Others didn't. And I found it all very confusing. I ended up joining a non-denominational Bible church. And it was a church that started in 1971 uh, during the movement portrayed in the movie, The Jesus Revolution, if you've seen that movie. Um And one of the reasons I joined that church is because it called itself a Bible church. And as a new Christian, that seemed uh, that it would be important. And since it was a Bible church, I assumed that my new church was biblical and all the other churches weren't. Um, After I attended that church for just one or two years, um, the leaders of that church decided to participate in a Billy Graham outreach at Angel Stadium and one of the pastors at that church encouraged me to sign up to become a counselor for this outreach event. So I went to the counselor training, and the training was held at a local brethren church down the street from my church, and I went to the training, and I found out that Billy Graham was a Baptist, and the person leading the training was a Presbyterian, and the person sitting on my left were Methodists, and the people sitting on my right were Lutherans, and they all seemed like normal. Bible-believing Christians like the people in my Bible church. And so that began to change my perspective just a little bit. Maybe these churches weren't completely wrong, but again, since my church was a Bible church, I figured that my church was at least probably a little bit more right than they were. (laughs) When I went to that Billy Graham event, there was a group protesting um, and passing out pamphlets outside of Angel Stadium. And the pamphlets declared in bold letters that Billy Graham was a false prophet. All the other churches were wrong and that their church was the only true church. And I remember thinking, that's a pretty arrogant thing to say. And as soon as I thought that, I realized that I was kind of thinking the same thing about my church a couple of years later, I transferred um, over to uh, Biola to study theology, and then from there went on to seminary. And I discovered that my non-denominational Bible church wasn't quite as biblically pure as i had always thought that it was. In my church history classes, I discovered that some of my church's most cherished beliefs were only about 100 years old. And although we said that all of our beliefs were based on the Bible, our our, our church actually interpreted the Bible through the lens of a theology called dispensationalism. Now, if you're bewildered by all of this and all of these different words, you're not alone. How do we discern all of these different kinds of churches without getting a PhD in church history? Well, we're in a series for Jesus's Sermon on the Mount that we're calling Reformed. In Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us the various areas that we all need some reformation in our lives if we want to live as authentic followers of Jesus in our world. And today, with just two more le- weeks left in our series, we're going to talk about reforming our discernment. How do we discern all of these different groups? So I want to invite you, if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word today from Matthew 7 verses 13 through 23. These are the words of Jesus for us today. Matthew 7 beginning in verse 13, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? This section of the Sermon on the Mount presents us with two different kinds of roads, two different kinds of leaders, and two different kinds of disciples. And each contrasting pair presents us with a crisis in our discernment, discerning the right road, the right leaders, and the right discipleship. How do we discern the correct road? How do we discern trustworthy spiritual leaders? And how do we discern what true discipleship consists of? Well, let's start with discerning the right road. Jesus says there are two. You can enter one road through a narrow gate, a small gate, and Jesus says that road is narrow. But it's the narrow road that leads to life. The other road is a wide gate it's a broad spacious road but the broad road leads to destruction now in the contrast or in the context of the sermon on the mount remember that Jesus is speaking to two different groups of people here the first were the people who were in the crowds The people in the crowds came to Jesus. They were drawn to Jesus for a variety of different reasons. They wanted Jesus to heal their sicknesses, fix their problems, answer their questions, redeem their brokenness, and Jesus did. Verse 29 of Matthew chapter 7 of this chapter tells us that after Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, the people in the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And yet, most of them remained in the crowd. The other group consisted of the people who had come out of the crowd to trust and to follow Jesus. Back in chapter five, when the Sermon on the Mount began, verse one, these people are simply called his disciples. His disciples. These disciples of Jesus had once been part of the crowd. They too had come to Jesus to heal their sicknesses, fix their problems, answer their questions, redeem their brokenness, and he did. But when Jesus invited them to set aside their agenda, come out of the crowd, and follow him, they did that too. And that's what made them his disciples. And one of the reasons why Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount is to define the boundary between the people who were still in the crowd and the people who had come out of the crowd to live as his disciples. So, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, the broad and easy road represents the people who are still in the crowd. They like Jesus. They're amazed by Jesus, they admire Jesus, but they've stopped short of following Jesus. In Dietrich Bonhoeffer's classic book, which I've probably quoted every week in this series, his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he calls this grace without discipleship. The people in the crowd wanted the grace of a relationship with God and forgiveness of sins and the kingdom of God But for whatever reason, they were not yet ready to become disciples. And many people who go to church in our culture today are just like people in the crowd. The narrow road in the context represents the people who have set aside their own agenda, come out of the crowd to become his disciples, So how do we discern the right road? We discern the right road by trusting and following Jesus. That's how we discern the right road. The road that leads to life is the road that begins by trusting and following Jesus, becoming disciples. Now, in today's world, the idea of a narrow road with a small gate is not a very popular idea. People like to believe that there are many gates and many roads, and they all are equally valid. And of course, we live in a nation where people have the right to follow whatever road they want to follow and believe whatever ideas they want to believe. And let me just say, I think that's a good thing. I don't want our government telling me which road I need to be on or what I need to to think. And so that means living around people who are on different roads than I'm on. But there's no getting around the fact that Jesus is making a very exclusive claim here that he is the gate to the road that leads to life. Jesus is confronting the people who are in the crowds to make a choice. Will they come out of the crowd to trust and follow him? That's the narrow road. Or will they remain in the safety of the crowd, admiring him, Amazed by him, but not following or trusting him. And Jesus confronts us with the same choice today. Trusting and following Jesus is how we discern the right road. So it doesn't so much matter whether you're Baptist or brethren, Calvary Chapel or Catholic, Pentecostal or Presbyterian. We can't discern the right road with church labels and names. Trusting and following Jesus is how we discern the right road. Now, verses 15 through 20, Jesus calls us to discern spiritual leaders. As we walk this narrow road, we need leaders along the way to help us. We need navigators that understand the terrain. We need guides who know how to read the map. We need organizers who can keep us all together and all moving in the same direction. Jesus calls these leaders prophets. Some churches call their leaders pastors and elders. Others call them ministers, deacons, priests, bishops. And here Jesus warns us about untrustworthy spiritual leaders. Untrustworthy spiritual leaders appear to be genuine at least at first, they look like sheep. In other words, they look like disciples of Jesus who are on the road of trusting and following Jesus, just like other disciples. But inwardly, Jesus says, false prophets are ferocious wolves. Now, sheep are domestic animals who need care and protection to survive. And the Bible often pictures God's people as a flock of sheep. Wolves, on the other hand, are predators who feed on sheep. Untrustworthy spiritual leaders are predatory. They conceal their true intentions. They misuse positions, their position as Christian leaders, often to exploit God's people. And our world has always been filled with predatory leaders. Some start out that way. They're wolves from the very beginning. Others start out as sheep. But over time, one compromise at a time, they slowly become wolves. Any kind of church can fall victim to predatory leaders. Big churches and small churches, Catholic churches and Protestant churches, conservative churches and liberal churches, which is why we need discernment. Jesus says we will discern untrustworthy spiritual leaders their fruit. A, a tree can only hide what kind of tree it is for so long. An apple tree will eventually grow apples. A fig tree will eventually grow figs. In the Bible, fruit is almost always a picture of what our lives are producing, often with an emphasis on our character, the kinds of people we are. You see, we discern trustworthy spiritual leaders by trusting leaders who are growing in their own discipleship. Those are trustworthy spiritual leaders. Leaders who are growing in their own discipleship as disciples of Jesus. We need leaders. And we can't conclude with absolute certainty whether a leader is a sheep or a wolf in sheep's clothing, but we can decide which leaders we will trust. Jesus is telling us to trust spiritual leaders whose lives are producing the fruit of Christian discipleship. Now, as someone who's been a pastor for more than 30 years, let me remind us that no spiritual leader is going to be perfect. Sometimes people have unrealistic expectations of their spiritual leaders. Even though I'm a pastor, I have just as many flaws and blind spots as you have. I sin, I make mistakes just like you do. And so do our other pastors and elders and deacons here at Glen Kirk. And sometimes even trustworthy spiritual leaders stumble and fall as leaders. And if that happens, it's up to the other leaders around that person and in that leader's life to discern whether they should be restored to leadership or whether they shouldn't. Sometimes they should, sometimes they shouldn't. But there's a difference between an imperfect spiritual leader or a spiritual leader who stumbles and a predatory wolf in sheep's clothing. Jesus wants us to trust leaders who are growing in their own discipleship. Leaders who aren't perfect, but whose lives are producing the fruit of love and kindness, humility and service. And trustworthy spiritual leaders often are not the most impressive or even the most gifted leaders. You probably won't see many of them on TV or writing best-selling books or preaching in front of thousands, although some of them may be. But they're leaders who have depth, who cultivate and tend to their own relationship with Jesus, to grow in their own discipleship. And whether we call these leaders pastors or elders or ministers or deacons or priests or bishops, what matters so much is not what we call them but whether they're growing in their own discipleship. That's how we discern trustworthy spiritual leaders. And the final contrast is between true and false discipleship. Verses 21 through 23, Jesus envisions the end of the age when everyone stands before God in judgment to give an account of their lives. And some people, says Jesus, will appear to have been Christians, disciples of Jesus throughout their time on earth. They called Jesus their Lord. They boldly proclaimed God's truth. They performed miracles and drove out demons in the name of Jesus. And yet Jesus says that for these people, he will say, I never knew you. They weren't true disciples. They were never in a relationship with Jesus or Jesus in a relationship with them. That's what knowing means. I never knew you. We were never in a relationship. Jesus says they didn't do the Father's will. What is the will of the Father? Well, apparently the will of the Father is more than just calling Jesus your Lord, more than proclaiming God's truth, and even more than doing miracles in his name. Obedience to Jesus' teaching, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, is the will of the Father. So how do we discern true discipleship? We discern true discipleship by pursuing God's will in our relationship with Jesus. True disciple begins with a relationship, knowing Jesus and him knowing us. And then true discipleship builds on that relationship with growing obedience to God's will. It's like the hymn that, that Joseph played during the offertory this morning trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We start with faith, with trusting in Jesus. But that has got to lead us to obedience. Actually doing what Jesus teaches us to do. That is true discipleship. And there are true disciples in virtually every church. They may worship differently than we do here at Glenkirk. They may practice their faith in ways that seem odd to us. But if they have a relationship with Jesus and are actively seeking to obey God's will, that's true discipleship. And who are we to say different? whether they're Anglican or Assemblies of God, Baptist or Brethren, non-denominational or Nazarene, Eastern Orthodox or Evangelical free, if they have a relationship with Jesus and they're seeking to obey God's will, that's true discipleship. But of course, the opposite is also true. There are people in every church who don't have a relationship with Jesus. I was serving in another church and a woman in her 70s made an appointment with me. Her family... she and her family have been members of this church for three generations. And after hearing a message like today's message, she realized that she had never established a relationship with Jesus. She was a member, she had been baptized, she served in ministry, but she didn't have a relationship with Jesus. She made an appointment with me and we talked about it. And that day in my office at that church, she came out of the crowd and became a disciple of Jesus. There are people like her in every church. Now, obviously, we can't judge true and false discipleship in other people. We shouldn't try to. Jesus has already commanded us earlier in this chapter not to judge. That's his job at the end of the age. But it's healthy to look at our own selves occasionally and look at our own discipleship to see whether there's evidence of true discipleship in our own lives. And let me just say that this is why it's so dangerous, I believe, to downplay or to discount Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. When we started this series back in September, I told you that there are some Christian groups that don't believe the Sermon on the Mount applies to Christians today. These are people who believe it applies to, you know, the future kingdom, Jewish people, and some other day, that it doesn't apply to Christians today. And more recently, a couple of politicians have suggested that the Sermon on the Mount is impractical. And I fear that these ideas contribute to false discipleship, which keeps people in the crowds and on the broad road. True disciples are not perfect, but they trust Jesus and then seek to do what Jesus says to do, even the hard stuff. We're surrounded by a bewildering array of different kinds of churches. And one of the reasons for this is because the Christian faith has been around for so long and in so many places nearly 2,000 years on every continent. And over time, variations spring up. That shouldn't surprise us, but it can be overwhelming. But as Jesus begins to bring his Sermon on the Mount to a conclusion, he invites us to reform our own discernment, to discern the right road, to discern trustworthy spiritual leaders, and to discern true discipleship within ourselves. Because there is a wrong road, there are untrustworthy leaders. And there is a false discipleship. During our Fall Belong class, Pastor Kate reminded us of something that C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity. In that book, Lewis pictures the Christian faith as being like a big house with lots of different rooms. And we all enter the house the same way, that, that, that small gate by trusting Jesus and following Jesus is how we enter the house. But people who live in a house don't live in a hallway. They have to find a room to live in. And so Lewis pictures all the rooms in this big house as different kinds of churches. Formal churches and informal churches, Catholic churches, Lutheran churches, Presbyterian churches, non-denominational churches, and on and on it goes. Lewis himself chose the Anglican church room. Here at Glenkirk, we're in the Presbyterian church room, not because we think it's the best room or the only room. I'm in this room because this is where God's called me and it fits my convictions and beliefs. But Lewis warns, when you've found your room, be kind to those who've chosen different rooms and to those who are still in the hallway trying to figure out where their room is. So if the people in the room next door are louder than we are, it's okay. If the people in the room down the hall go through a crisis, Rather than saying, well, I told you so. That would never happen in our room. Instead, we offer them our prayers, our love, and our support. Because after all, we're in the same house. We all came through the same door, and we're all going to the same place. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words of Jesus that are challenging, Lord. And Lord, I pray for any who may be here today who've realized they're in the crowd. They've not yet stepped out of the crowd to trust and follow Jesus, to establish a relationship with him. God, I pray for them today would be that day of entering the small gate onto the narrow road that leads to life. And if that's you today, there's no magic formula. It's just a matter of telling God, I wanna trust and follow Jesus. I want to be his disciple. Father, for the rest of us, help us cultivate trustworthy leaders among us and protect us from predators. Father, help us be people of true discipleship, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of transformation in our own hearts and lives. Help us actually live these words and not just listen to them or study them, but actually begin to live them that we might be a blessing to others. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.